Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome. It is great to have you back. I have it's to say, it's nice to be back. It's been a couple weeks. I was finishing season three of The Good Place. Exciting. Uh, and so I didn't have time for these trifles <laughs> like the podcast. Uh, but <laughs> but we've we've wrapped now, and all I'm doing is editing. So now I have uh, more time on my hands. You have more time for trifles. Is really what we're talking about. That's right. Yeah. Um, and by the way, we should we were good. We teased that we were going to have a special guest star uh, this uh, uh, today or this right. week, and right. the this timing didn't work out with a special guest star. But we can go ahead and confirm that this special guest star is will be here next week on the podcast. Should we say who it is? Yeah, let's let's say we, we, we've teased it long enough. <laughs> we've teased it for like a month and a half. <laughs> uh, Nick Offerman, the great Nick Offerman from Parks and oh Recreation. My gosh. And a million other things will be joining us as a special guest on the podcast next week. How awesome is that? Very Nick exciting. Offerman. Oh, it's huge. It's uh, huge Cubs fan has appeared in many and some ads. You might have seen him in ads with uh, Craig Robinson about Cubs versus White Sox when they did those ads for um, rivalries. And a big, huge Cubs fan, a big baseball fan in general, Illinois native. Uh, and podcast fan. That the most insane thing is podcast fan. <laughs> How many people can you say that about in the world? By the way, I mean that's that seems uh, that seems uh, like a small number. Well, we've general. got we've got Margot ostensibly we, your wife. We do. She hasn't listened to one of these in years. She, I, I don't think my wife has ever listened to one ever. I really don't think she has. I mean, and I I feel like why would she? Frankly, so we have a, we have two fans. We have Margot. Uh, by default, and we have Nick Offerman. We have Nick Offerman. That's it. That's pretty much all we That's got. That's pretty good, though. I'll take those two fans, you know? Oh, hey, they're two great fans. Two absolutely great fans. Actually, yeah. there are a couple others. There, there are a couple of other people who, who I've actually come up to. It's just weird anytime somebody comes up to me and says, hey, huge podcast fan. You know, that's just an odd... <laughs> It's just an odd thing to hear, uh, but we love them. We love them. And by the way, I should say uh, for podcast listeners, um, there is now, so we've, so I, I, I don't know if you're even aware of this. I've created uh, a membership uh, for the podcast and also for my blog uh, at Patreon. Uh, you, you know about Patreon. It's like a, it's a patron place, place you can go if you want to become a member of something. So, uh, if you want to become a member of the podcast, uh, you can go to uh, Patreon. I think it's uh, Joe Patreon.com slash Joe Blogs, I think. Uh, but you can find it at, at there. And uh, people can become a member and they can go, they get like a, like a, get to go on a special uh, chat board to talk about it. They can, they'll get special things that, I haven't figured out what those are yet, but but it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So you know that makes you know what that makes me miss. That makes me miss the days of the podcast where we um, would repeatedly promise people that if they <laughs> tweeted certain things with ha certain hashtags that they would get a present, and we just never sent the present, which I'm sure violates even in, in the like wild west world of podcasting. I'm sure we broke several FCC regulations. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt, and and there's no question that this Patreon will also break all kinds of rules. But right. but but hey. You're more than welcome. We'd love to have you. We'd love to sure. have you over there. Yeah. So, uh, so much to go over, but but before we do, we have to talk about this because, uh, you know, because you were so incredibly busy. Uh, I I you know I I I didn't feel like I could just tell 
we we had just promised to professionalize the podcast, right? We had just promised, and then I would, suddenly I'm going to say like we're canceling the second one. That just felt that felt wrong. So I went to podcast a uh, uh, friend and and someone we can really rely on, Alan Seppenwall. He filled your shoes, uh, right. did, you know, and uh, he brought a lot of Yankee to this podcast, man. A lot of Yankee. It's it was it was frightening. Yeah, know? he texted me before um, before he appeared on the podcast and said, "Is there anything you want me to do while I fill in for you?" <laughs> and I said, "Renounce your Yankee fandom live and convert to Red Sox fandom." And he said, "I don't think I'm going to do that." And I said, "Well, that's fair, uh, but other than that, no, go crazy." But I shouldn't have said go crazy. I should have said limit your Yankee talk <laughs> to like, you know, 45 seconds or something. Cause it just became, it was essentially like a special Yankee edition of the podcast. It really was. It really was. And I, I, the, 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 there's much to go over, which we will not do, but we will go over the one piece where he said he considered himself the Miguel Andahar to your Brandon Drury. Yeah. That's, that's how he viewed it. And that had to hurt. That that, hurt, to that, that stung. Yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. That stung. <laughs> but here's the great thing. He's not here now. And, and uh, we have a very exciting version of the Yankee minute uh, to, to discuss uh, what has been. Okay. Here, here's, here's my problem with what's going on with the Yankees uh, and the Red Sox for that matter. Um, we know it's not going to last. We know that at the end of this, there will be great pain, right? Because this is this is like this is like the second that this is like I would say like the first Star Wars. We're like, oh, happy ending, and then like, no, we go to the second Star Wars, and you know, the Empire comes back and destroys yeah. everything, and you know, and all that. Um, but it has been disastrous for the Yankees the last two weeks. Disastrous, and uh, it hurts me to even say that because I know what's coming afterward. But there is no denying these have to be two of the best weeks of your life. Really. Yeah. I mean, that you know, four game sweeps in either direction are pretty rare. Um, and how and, they were played. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Every day, a wonderful piece of just just jabbing the Yankees in the stomach every day. Yankee Minute. Yeah, that was pretty great, and they came on the heels also of the Yankees. Like I think they had just lost to Baltimore. The the Orioles are like six and six against the against the uh, Yankees this year, which is delightful. Um, so the, the, that four game series was amazing. It really was. I, I like you know even in the last game um, where I I was at the rap party for season three of the Good Place, and so I I checked the score. One of the uh, ads, the assistant directors on the show, who's a very lovely guy named Kenny is a big Yankee fan. And he was, I was like, did you, have you seen the score? I haven't looked recently. And he was like, I can't even look. And I checked my phone. It was four to one. And he was like, Hey, how about that? Maybe they'll steal a game. And then he came up to me like sadly at the end of the night and was like, did you see what happened? <laughs> <laughs> and I could like, I couldn't believe it. Like I it just, it's so weird. Look, you're right. Let, let's put aside for a second. Let's let's delay for a second the discussion of what is inevitably going to happen, okay? Right, and just right. talk about like this situation right now. And the situation right now, and I was talking to a Red Sox fan friend of mine is about this, is um, they've switched places. The teams of right now, this year, have switched places in that forever and ever and ever, there was a sort of crushing inevitability to what would happen in a series like this uh, and in a season like this where even in the, in the years where like in, in 2004 – 
when the uh, when the Red Sox finally won. Even during that regular season, the Yankees won the division, and they won the division with a run differential that was like a hundred runs lower than the Red Sox <laughs> run, run differential. And it was just because of this. It was hard to explain it, but it was just like there was a sort of like just you looked at the team and you're like, how are they doing this? I don't understand. Right. Like it, it, it wasn't a, a, just a, a straight, you know, one through nine all-star team. Like for example, the 99 Indians or something or right. the, or that Mariners team. It was like, they had like obviously great players, but it was like, you couldn't quite, you couldn't quite, it was like something they had a, they had a, like a, um, they were like wizards. They just cast spells and won games that they shouldn't have won. And and then of course they had Mariano at the back of the bullpen, and they had they had certain things that were consistent, but it was just it felt like the Red Sox always knew they were going to lose, and the Yankees always knew they were going to win. And right now, crazily, they have switched places. Now yeah. what happened? Now Yankee fans are wandering around in a daze, going, "I don't understand it. We were only we were five and a half back, and we were going into Fenway. We have all this momentum, and I know Judge is hurt, but we still have a better one through nine lineup, arguably." And and all these young guys that are so exciting and blah. And then you, and then the ser- you blink and the series ends and you're nine and a half back. And it's like, what, what happened? What happened? Yeah. Oh, and, and yeah, it's very weird. And like, you know, now we should shift gears and talk about what is going to happen because <laughs> there, there is still is this, there's like a, there's a, lo- a bunch of things that are going on right now. Number one is like, I don't know if you saw the game last night, the Yankee game, they beat the white Sox four to three in 13 innings. Now that's, that's not a, very positive statement like the no. white Sox are one of the worst baseball teams ever and to have to beat them four to three in 13 innings is sad for the yankees but whatever they still won but like i mike stanton john carlos stanton i apologies uh hit a home run in that game where it was a slider low and away it was about a uh, maybe six inches off the ground and he somehow was stepping backwards like <laughs> he was stepping away from home plate and he stuck his bat out and hit it like 400 feet the other way. And so I saw that happen and was like, oh, yeah, right. Like that, all that it takes at all for the Yankees to sweep through the playoffs is for like that guy and, and Judge and like Torres to get really hot all at the same time. And then that lineup becomes unbeatable because they have so many. They're still, are they still going to break the home run record? Are they on pace for that or no? I can't remember. It's, 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 they might, but but it's it's not. They were not. They're not as ahead of the pace, I guess, as they were at one point. But they're I, they still could. They still could if they yeah. if they have a good hot final two months. But here's here's my question to you, and this is sort of like what we as as Yankee uh, haters have to uh, have to do. Every single thing, and this is the first time I can really ever remember this happen. Every single thing that can go wrong for the Yankees is going wrong. Everything is going wrong. Like the like they're they are absolutely splitting apart the seams for a for such a good team. I mean, they're still they're not going to fall out of the playoffs or any of those things. But for a very good team, they're they're one true ace on that pitching staff. Luis Severino has been pitching terribly yeah. lately, and enough to inspire panic. Like enough to like, well, his velocity's down and he's not throwing strikes and what's going on and and there's and there's panic right. The Zach Britton thing looks like that's not going to work at all. I mean, it's a, it's way too early to make that choice, but but that isn't looking great, you know, from from the brief period that he's that he's pitched. Uh, Sonny Gray, that that doesn't look like that's coming back around at this point. I mean, it, it's they used him in out of in the out of the bullpen. I mean, it's that's that's sort of the where they seem to be uh, leaning with him. Judge is hurt. 
Gary Sanchez, you know, what we talked a lot about in the last podcast is not only is he hurt, he's, he's like, he brings a level of drama that the Yankees never have. Right. Like where they have like that guy that's like, oh, everything's going crazy. Fans boo him. And it's like like the Yankee, the old, old Yankees of like the 70s and 80s. They and, you know, they used to have that. But the Jeter Yankees, they might not win every year, although they won. They won every year, but they might not win the World Series every year. But they're like everything is always like smooth. Right. It's like everything's fully out there. They're always fully operational. And. And now, you know, Sanchez is like, it, when he comes back, what is that going to be like? Nobody knows. So my question to you is, all of this is happening around the Yankees. The, for the first time, maybe in our lifetime, this is actually happening. It's a trap, isn't it? It's got to be a trap. Well, not only is it a trap, it's obviously a trap. Let's start there. <laughs> yes, of course, it's a trap. But um, all this is happening, and they're they have the second best record in baseball. And they're like twenty seven games over five hundred. I know. <laughs> so like they're really good. Though. I mean, they're yeah, really, really. They're good. a very good team. If you look, the craziest thing is to look at all their young guys, and and you know Sanchez has has been, by almost every measure, a disaster this year. Yeah. Uh, he he's hitting under two hundred. He like you know defensively has has he's single handedly lost games for them, which is yeah. uh, which is hard to do in, in baseball in any at any position. Um, but like you look at his he's whatever he's in his third year, and he has you know I don't know the numbers offhand, but he hits he's his like 162 game averages at this point, even though you know he's barely played that many games. You know he's like a 45 home run a year guy, right? Uh, and then you look at Greg Bird, and you think of Greg Bird as like. Wow, he what a he was like a huge uh, uh, prospect, and and he's had some bad luck. He got injured, and then he had a slump, and whatever. Greg Bird is is like a thirty eight home run per one hundred sixty two game guy, or something. Right. Like they have all of these guys who, oh, if they ju- if they just like stop losing their minds and stop getting injured, they have five young players, not even arbitration eligible players who could hit 40 home runs a year. And that's what we all thought was going to happen coming into this season, right? It's like you thought it was Judge Stanton, Bird, uh, you know, Torres, Sanchez. You thought it was like five. I legitimately thought they could have five 40 home run guys in in their lineup. And that's because they have five guys who are under (laughs) the age of 26 who are capable of that. So the way it's a trap is like not just because the Yankees are always, you know, uh, laying traps for you if you don't like them, but it's also a trap because they have had everything go wrong and they're still, I think, really the third good. best record in baseball, the third be- behind the Red Sox and Astros. And all it takes is like one dominant performance from Severino in the wild card game and then one. Like, how the hell is he doing this performance from CC Sabathia <laughs> in game one where he beats whoever, Rick Porcello, or, you know, and it's like, or beats Chris Sale, it would be worse. Chris and then Sale. suddenly it's like, wait, what happened? They're, they're going back to New York and they're tied 1 1. And they're, and then they, like, it just, you can see it unfold so easily, right? It's like, that's, that's the thing about them. They are zombies. You can't destroy them unless you unless you uh, blow up their heads or whatever. I don't know how you kill zombies, but they they're just like I I won't I never believe that they're not going to win the World Series until the moment the game ends that prohibits them from doing so. No, that's right, that's right. And look, I mean, we we talk about the negative things. Uh, that bullpen is still sick. I mean, it's it's absurd. It's it's unhittable. I mean, unless they implode 
which that bullpen can do. They've got a lot of guys in that bullpen that don't that can go into stretches where they can't throw strikes. But unless that happens, you know, they strike out, you know, to an inning and and it's I mean, it's they're 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 unhittable. Severino, we know he's really, really good. I mean, I I, I get the I get the panic, but he's really good. Judge is going to be back soon. So yeah, we it's it's easy to see they're this good with everything going wrong, how good they can be. But I don't think we should allow the opportunity to pass where we cannot enjoy the Yankees doing this. Like, that's like that's we, exactly right. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to just enjoy the fact that like they just walked into to Boston and got swept in four straight, including a, oh, an absolutely crushing. heartbreaking, heartbreaking <laughs> game four loss. And I'm trying to enjoy like I'm trying to enjoy the New York Post headlines, and I'm trying to enjoy the sort of sense of doom around like the I, Aaron Boone gave a statement that like no Yankee manager has ever given, which is like, he was like, well, we're going through a little bit of a rough patch right now. We just got to keep our heads on straight life. That kind of thing that like every other team's managers have have to give twice or three times a year. And you've never heard it from a Yankee manager. <laughs> I'm just so trying funny. to, I, I am trying to enjoy it a little bit. Although I just know I have a sinking feeling in my gut that, that that like the peak of our happiness and their misery was in early August. That just is like a bad. That's a bad warning. There's a, a blinking red light warning us to oh, uh, yeah. to not oh, no get question. too comfortable. That by the way that that Aaron Boone statement just generally boy did Yankees fans hate that. They're just they're they. You know, everybody was so happy with Aaron Boone. Oh, he's so smooth and he's such a, you know, he's such a great communicator and he's, and the guys love playing for him and this, and they go into this rough spatch and he's kind of like, oh, it'll be okay. And they're like, oh, I hate you. Like you, you're the, what's different about this team. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it for a minute. All right. All right. Let's not Um, make this into the Alan Suppenwall Yankee hour. (laughs) It's already been that. It's already been that. (laughs) We're going on to our next segment and our next segment is going to be very brief because it's unfortunately not going that great. And that is, uh, when we check in on Scooter Jeanette. So Scooter Jeanette is the podcast player of the, uh, of 2018, the idea we want Scooter Jeanette of the Cincinnati Reds to get a 300, 400, 500 uh, fam, as we like to call it. By the way, Tommy fam to the yeah. Tampa Bay. What do you think of that? That's, it was a that bummer. Was, I was, was sad. I was felt like we, uh, it felt like we lost, uh, it felt like, a, 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 I don't know, a little part of the podcast soul was ripped out of us. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was. It was. We we don't like when podcast players uh, get get traded, uh, particularly to Tampa Bay. No, no offense to Tampa Bay, but that's that's it's a weird place. My it's, God, it's, it's where baseball players go to not be uh, <laughs> to not exist anymore. <laughs> How about them having literally? And I use literally a lot. There's a guy, by the way, one of our one of our few fans, uh, who every time I I uh, say, hey, the podcast is coming on, he just tweets me literally because we apparently say literally a lot on sure. this on this show. So literally that guy's awesome. So um <laughs> the uh uh no but the but the, the you saw with the Rays where they literally had no starting pitchers. Zero. Yes. After they made all of those trades, they you went to the Tampa Bay, you know, Rays.com uh you know for for MLB 
and and went to their depth chart and it was like a box. It was just an empty box. There were mm-hmm. no pitchers in it. That's right. I mean, that's and that's the way it should be in Tampa Bay, really, at this point. So, uh, but let's get back to Scooter Jeanette. Uh, so, 300, 400, 500, he was a lot closer uh, when we did our first podcast. He is now at 314, uh, which is great, 364, which is not great, and 495, which is fine, which is, you know, that's still in the range. The problem is over the last month, he's hit 258, 347, 404. Um, he has actually picked up, uh, uh, based on your uh, recommendation, he has picked up his uh, getting hit by pitch thing. He's been hit uh, <laughs> by pitch three times in the last month. Remember, he'd only been hit once yeah. early in the year. So he's picked that up. But unfortunately, the rest of his game is, is uh taken a little bit of a tumble. Uh, how do we feel about Scooter's uh, shot? Here? Well, look, we knew this was going to happen. We, when we picked Scooter, Jeanette, we knew he was not going to. His his OBP at the time we picked him was only like three seventy six yeah, or something. Like he like, would have had yeah, to, yeah. he would have had to had a phenomenal last two months. So I have a proposal, and I don't think we should adopt the proposal yet necessarily. But I have a proposal. We named three hundred, four hundred, five hundred the Fam after Tommy Fam, obviously. Right. I think our move here is to invent something called the the scooter and it's a new it's a different achievement and then we'll see if he can achieve the scooter and wow that's yeah, really so good. We, my we pitch what it is though oh my what is pitch it? is i can't ready for this my pitch okay. is it's 25 35 45 which is okay. to say 25 home runs 35 doubles and 45 walks <laughs> <laughs> Because right now he's on pace for 24 homers, 34 doubles, and 44 walks. So I feel like it would be an achievement for him to achieve the 25, 35, 45. The classic 25, 35, 45. <laughs> I mean, how how many times have we talked? How many times did Ty Cobb do the 25, 35, 45? It's sort of, right? I mean, it's like, it's a it's a basic benchmark of a player's quality. <laughs> it really, it's really where you start when you start talking about a player like Scooter Jeanette. That's right. Did he do 25, 35, 40? Did he do a scooter? Did he did he um, achieve a scooter? So uh, the other thing is, by the way, he's on pace for 94 runs scored. So we could add 100 runs in there somehow. No, um, the, the, it almost would ruin it. It's almost like we need something with 15. So it would be 15, 25, 35, 45, right? Uh, it's almost like we need see anything where he's on pace for 15. He's on pace for 15 grounded into double plays. I'm telling you. <laughs> he's, he's, he's got his shot. All that. right. Well, we could do 15, 25, 35, 45. 15 double plays, 25 homers, 35 doubles, and 45 walks. That would be amazing. All right. I, I, so I, I'm not, listen, I, I don't know that we should do it yet, but maybe next week with Nick. We'll check in and uh, and we'll see if we want to switch from the from rooting for the fam, which is not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. Or the scooter, which potentially could happen. It could happen. I, I love it. I love the scooter. I, I love the idea. Plus, I mean, we didn't think Tommy Fam was going to do the fam, so him him actually doing that uh, was was awesome. So it's almost like scooter shouldn't we should we should invent a new thing for scooter. Yeah, that's, right. That's, that's what I'm thinking. A good idea. All right. Excellent. All right, let's go to our um, sports movie time. Sports movie time. So while you were gone, uh, Alan Sepinwall and I, uh, we did uh, the end of what it ended up being. Like he came in with an idea of how we were going to deal with Hoosiers, the movie Hoosiers. And his idea was we were going to discuss whether or not the filmmakers had uh, justified the moment when the when uh, Norman Dale's players kind of at the end kind of turned their back when he when he didn't want to go to the to the to the 
best player right. and wanted to run the picket fence. And they all kind of stood up like, ah, oh, and then he, you know, the, the, I'll make it. And then he changed the play and all that. His, our, his point was that he didn't think like the filmmakers had gotten us there. He didn't think the filmmakers had, had created uh, enough independence from those players that they really would have done that in that moment, which was where we started. But we ended up in, a, I think, a much more interesting point, which is, was Norman Dale a good uh, X and O coach? Um, and I think the answer is clearly no. He clearly was not <laughs> a good X's and O's coach. So this week, uh, I love this week's one. Uh, we are going to uh, Bull Durham, classic Bull Durham. Uh, and, and our topic is Crash Davis. And here is the question. And I will post it to you before offering my opinion. The question is, <laughs> Crash Davis, switch hitting power catcher. Yeah who sets the minor league record for 247 home runs in the minor leagues at the time. Um, switch hitter, obviously uh, a a good defensive catcher. He's still catching whatever age he's, he's at. How in the heck does this guy not get a shot in the major leagues? How is that possible? He got like his one little 21-day thing that he talked about, but clearly that was just a – sort of passing moment like they called him up in September maybe as a as a nice thing to do for him it wasn't a how was this guy not a like a real prospect what could Crash Davis have done that being a switch hitting power hitting catcher with some defensive skills how in the world could he not have been in the major leagues yeah it doesn't quite make sense now I will say I went to baseball reference last night and I looked up uh, so the movie came out in 88 I think he said, I think they say it's his 12th season. So I looked from like 76 to 88 and there were a pretty good number. It was not a bad time for catchers. Like it was, there were some pretty good catchers. If I did a search, a random search for catchers with like a one Oh five OPS plus and, uh, and more than I think 15 home runs in a year. There's a lot of guys who had a lot of seasons like that. Like there's a, there, you know, there it was. It was a pretty decent time to be a catcher. There were some good power hitting catchers. Um, uh, you know, a lot of like Jody Davis had like six of those yeah. seasons, and yeah. you forget like there there were the back then catchers were were um were uh, were pretty good hitters, and so that's one thing I would cite. The other thing is we never really saw him throw. He never tries to. <laughs> I don't think he ever tries to throw a guy out uh, who's stealing because that's really not the story. However, you would say, look, if he didn't have a great arm, they would have moved him to first. Like, right. if he could hit that well, they would have moved him to first. Like, there's a lot of guys who you would call 4A guys, right? Quadruple A players who were good enough to be decent in the in AAA, but not good enough to really stick in the majors. But, you know, 200 and something homers, that's a lot of home runs. The, uh, and, and so, uh, yeah, it doesn't quite track. Uh, the only thing I can think is that defensively, he isn't quite as good. I mean, the, here's a bigger question, and I, we can stick with this question too. But like, how does Nukelalouche uh, ever make it in the majors? He, <laughs> I don't think Nukelalouche throws a throws a pitch faster than 45 miles an hour in that. When you actually see him throw, a poor Tim Robbins, who's great in that movie, obviously. Like, it's far more important that you be funny and a good actor than right. it is that you can actually convincingly throw a 98 mile an hour fastball. But Tim Robbins I can't throw a 50 mile an hour fastball, and it it always takes you it it doesn't take me out of the movie as much as uh, 
as much as um, the dad in Field of Dreams trying to play catch with <laughs> <laughs> trying to play catch with Ray at the end of Field of Dreams because that actor has never thrown a baseball in his. I've complained about this before. That actor's never thrown a baseball in his life, but uh, but still, like that. There's no it. The fact that Crash didn't stick in the majors is a flaw that is highlighted by the fact that apparently Nuke Lelouch did, which is just like, forget it. There's no way there's no of those two guys. Crash Davis is the better baseball player. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's numerous things. One is that, is that, I mean, the way they filmed it, I, you, you obviously you film it, right. But I believe Kevin Costner is like three years older than Tim Robbins. So like yeah. the idea that he was this grizzled old guy and Tim Robbins was this like 19 year old kid. It was, it, that was a little bit of a stretch as well. Um, yeah, and and by the way, nobody nobody recovers from the the control problems that Tim Robbins had. That that's not not to that extent. I mean, that's just that's lunacy. Um, but but I think I've come down to this because because all right, if I'm trying to squeeze Crash Davis in, so yes, it's possible he was a terrible defensive catcher. But exactly right, if he was, your switch hitter with power, there just aren't that many of those ever. I mean, there just aren't. So. Certainly, they would have tried him at a different position. Uh, so the fact that he was still playing catcher tells me he had to be at least passable. Um, and look, they brought him in to sort of teach, you know, what he knew. So clearly, they must have felt like he was a pretty smart baseball guy. So, the, okay. So the only other two things that I can come up with are, one, uh, that he just didn't make contact. Now, he, he, he hit home runs, but he hit like 170. Like every year, he was like the that. Joey Gallo of minor league, <laughs> exactly of minor league guys. So it was so bad that it was like the only thing keeping him in the minors was that he hit the occasional home run because and and was a decent catcher, and so he was actually a terrible hitter, like a terrible strikeout 150 times in 89 game kind of hitter. So the movie does not give us that indication that he was that kind of hitter. But but that's one possibility. The other possibility is he was a terrible person, right? The other the other possibility is that oh my gosh, he's just a total head case. Nobody wants this guy anywhere near their team. He's too talented to not like keep finding a new job in the minors somewhere. But nobody in their right mind would move him up to the major. So you're saying it's it's either that he's the Joey Gallo of the minor leagues or the AJ Pierzynski of the minor leagues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what I'm saying. But of course, AJ Brzezinski being way better. So if he was the AJ Brzezinski of the minor leagues, then he he wasn't. He would have gotten a shot. Yeah, right. No, then he then he had to also it had to be both of them. Then, then right. He also had to be a terrible hitter. So I, you know I, what's I, crazy is Costner was only 33 when he made that movie, which is which I think of him as being like 39. I well, guess that's it's what because, I was trying to figure out how yeah. old they thought, do you think he was, right? I, I mean, think they, I think they, I mean, 12 minor league seasons isn't that many seasons. If you, no. you know, you get to the minors, I don't think Crash Davis went to college. I think Crash Davis was <laughs> playing rookie ball at 18. So I think they're basically saying he's about 31 or something, which yeah. is funny because what you want him to be in that movie is 38, right? right. You want him to be right. like, it's like he's just hanging on by a thread to professional baseball. But realistically, 33 would be about as old as anyone could ever be playing in the minors, even in like low A. For sure. Catcher, yeah. So um, I don't know. It's interesting. I feel like, you know, Ron Shelton has talked about uh, for, for decades now, has talked about doing a sequel. And the question is, I have for you is like, if you did a sequel now, where is Crash Davis and where is Nuke Lelouch? Like, what yeah. happened to them? What do you okay. think? Well, 
I, I do think that there's a really good chance that Crash Davis is still in baseball, right? He's that he's managing uh, probably a guy. Look, so so I've already got this 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 image of Crash Davis as as somebody who's sort of an outlier type of guy. That's why he never really fit into the major leagues. So I would have him. He he would be what? It's been thirty years since the movie, right? So he'd be in yeah. his late fifties. He's sixty three. Yeah. Yeah. So he'd be in his early sixties, let's say. My guess is that you put him as a manager of a minor league team. He got his shot in the major leagues, right? He got his Trey Hillman opportunity to manage in the big leagues. Uh, it didn't go well. Uh, you know, he brought all of his like sort of philosophical ways to the game and nobody wanted any part of it. Plus they thought his, his wife was crazy. So, so they, so he goes back to the minors and, and, you know, basically finds, uh, another nucleolouche that that you know he tries to uh, in some way engage, okay, or some something along the or a young catcher or some something like that. Nucleolouche cannot possibly be in baseball, and not only that, how long do you think he was in baseball? That's that is a you know, hey, for like two months he was like really really good, and then it just like went right off the cliff. Then they kind of tried to keep him in there as a as a reliever because he threw hard not quotes unquotes. Um, and, and then he got out and he became like a furniture salesman or something. I mean, it's, it's the only way he, his character makes any sense in my mind is, is what did his dad do? I don't remember. Like his dad came to visit him. Like he was whatever his dad did. Like he went into his dad's business and, yeah, and, you know, and, and maybe, maybe that's how they reconnect is that he, he finds a nucleolouche type of player, in uh in a ball and he realizes there's only one guy that could really reach him and that's the actual nucleus right i mean like that's isn't that how you do it i mean isn't that sort of the the yeah you know what would be funny is if um is if a crash became a like a you know worked his way became a coach and became a manager and and uh and worked his way up and got like you say got his shot in the majors and had this sort of like kind of like old timey kind of, you know, baseball Zen spirituality aspect of, you know, when he was talking about the, he, you know, that the famous monologue that he gives about, right. Uh, right. you know, about the designated hitter and whatever. Yeah. It's like he, he got to the majors in like as a bench coach or maybe even a head coach in like the like late nineties, early two thousands. And then like a sabermetrically inclined, <laughs> a GM was just like, Oh, you're, you're, uh, completely out of date and your your philosophy is garbage and i'm sending i'm firing you immediately <laughs> and like he doesn't know what happened to him he's just like wait i don't understand why why did you guys why are we trying to walk all the time <laughs> and then i think i feel like nuke lelouch like he's like he's probably like john rocker right he probably right, like right. they turned him into a, a like a one-inning guy and he had like two years where he had 43 saves uh, and was like, you know, dominant. And then he said something really stupid, maybe not racist. I don't think Nuclelouche was a racist no, or anything. Doesn't feel racist now. No, but he just like said something stupid or crashed his car or like, you know, got a DUI or whatever and just washed out of the game at like 27. And uh, yeah, I think he bought like a partial Ford dealership somewhere in, in uh, wherever he's from. And, and he's just kind of like signing autographs and living the glory days. Why don't we just write this script and send this to Ron Shelton? I mean, it's, it's just clear. a super depressing sequel. It's <laughs> so awesome. And basically, all we 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 cut, we see Crash Davis, you know, there, and 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 they're still he's still together with Annie, and and she's just sitting there like, I if you talk about 
you know, your Babbitt again one more time, like because he's still like obsessed with the numbers that got him thrown out of the game, and it's yeah. like, oh. I, well, you know I, what you would do is you would make him the coach of a minor, like a single A team or whatever, and there would be a guy who's like thirty five who is going, who's like trying to break his record. His home run record, right? Oh, I like this. Yeah, and then the and then just out of spite, uh, Crash just sits him day after day after day. <laughs> Are you going to play him or not? Like, well, no, I want I want the record. <laughs> hasn't, hasn't impressed me lately at all. Hasn't impressed me. Uh, you know, again, guy comes in, Stormy kicks the door, trade me. He's like screaming at him and. Oh yeah, no, I like this. This is, this is yeah, just a really a super depressing follow up uh, movie. No, no one, at all. It, no, no one asked for. All. Nobody, yeah, it doesn't have any real. There's no real uh, like you know texture to like what the what life is like for a minor league player. Like all that right. stuff is gone. It's just it's just about sabermetrics and spite. And we and we keep hinting that Nuke Lelouch is going to get back in the game, but he never does. And it's like all we do is we just keep keep it coming in him and seeing his depressing life is like he's just drinking in the back of a Ford dealership, just just moaning and just constantly and like you know like and and we just keep foreshadowing that at some point Crash is going to go see him, but he never does. I think that would be awesome. People would love that. Have I talked about this before? I may have talked about this before. I apologize if I have, but I had a friend who uh, he and I had this long running bit where you remake sports movies, but you make them as boring as possible. Have I talked about this before? <laughs> no. Like I, it, it makes me laugh so hard. So the idea would be like, okay, you remake um, Hoosiers, right? Right. And they get to the finals and um, Hickory high takes like an early, like 11 point lead <laughs> right. in the, in the first half. And then you just play out the whole game. And like the lead goes from like, seven points up to like 16 <laughs> points but they have like a 12 point lead at halftime and then they just play really solid defense they take good shots at one point you know muncie or whatever it is takes you know cuts the lead to you know six with like 40 <laughs> seconds left but then like hickory hits a three and then there's a turnover they hit another like three free like throws they just yeah and like, and like in real time you just watch them dribble out the clock and there's no drop like removing drama from sports movies is so funny to me like oh, you like uh the other one was um oh in uh, in the natural <laughs> so you, you do the natural and they get to the final game and uh, uh and uh, uh roy hobbs hits a three-run homer in the first inning and they score like six runs in the first inning and then it's like the it's like game seven of the world series last year where like right. the where like the other team like they just they never score like and then in the fourth inning the knights add like two more runs and it's eight nothing and then in the fifth inning and sixth inning like hobbs hits a grand slam and it's like you know it's 12 nothing and then like in the eighth inning the other team scores like they score twice you know so it's like 12 to two now but then it's just like, you know, a series of just like weak grounders to the right side. And they, you just, that's it. The game's over. They won 12 to two. <laughs> I love this. I also, I also love, I love just like, you know, if you could, so you take an ending, I mean, so what you're talking about, and I, and I think this is great. You take an ending that the way it's like, that the, the, they win, they win. I've always thought one of the great ways to end Rocky, the original Rocky is Rocky never lands a punch the whole fight. He's just jabbing him in the face over and over and over again. And then at the end, it's like, yeah, decision uh, for, yeah. for champion. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, you know, he won that round of 10 to nine. 
He won that round ten to nine. He won that round ten to nine. <laughs> and you know, he almost he like he, he lands one lucky punch and like knocks him down. Like, oh hey, he's gonna win around, but he ends up losing the fight like 157, 143 or something. Yeah. You know? And it's just and they sort of shake hands and they go back and yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I didn't I just could it's like the the Pacquiao Mayweather fight where it's like <laughs> Like oh yeah, I'm a waste of time. I guess that was complete a complete waste of time. I love this so so so. It really like if you if you take any sports movie and then play out the most boring version of that sports (laughs) most boring game as as the end of the movie, it's so funny to me. I I I never get tired of it. Of just like like I oh a key point in the natural was like at one point. I think we had them up eight, nothing. And then the other team like scores one run. And then in the next inning, like there's a guy on third and like Roy Hobbs hits a sacrifice fly. to like, <laughs> like, it's like, it's like a medium depth fly ball to right. And the guy scores. And now it's nine, one. It's a bad throw. It's a bad yeah, throw. throws <laughs> offline. And like, he wouldn't have had him anyway, but the throw was offline. And <laughs> I mean, the, the truth is, is that, you know, for every, um, you know, Cubs Indians game seven, there's a Red Sox Yankees 2004 ALCS game oh, seven where it's just a crazy blowout or a Dodgers Astros game seven last year where the Astros went up early on Springer, you know, Springer destroying that team. And then it's I mean, the Dodgers never threatened in that game. Like it, it was, you know, it was only five nothing, I think. But like this, yeah, you just watch it was just had this like inevitability to it, right. like Charlie Morton just mowing people down and. And we yeah, knew just, it, and everybody knew it. I mean, we weren't the only ones, but we were texting back and forth after the first inning, like, ah, oh, this game's over. This, this game's, game's over. over. It just yeah. felt over, yeah. If like, they don't score here, this game's over, and, like, yeah. they didn't score, and, like, all yep. right, forget. Uh, yeah, I, I to play it, play it at home. You can play this game at home. Take your favorite sports movie, <laughs> find the most boring ever game in the, like the the least dramatic game, and substitute whatever the last <laughs> part of the movie is for that game, and it is delightfully funny. Oh, I can't get enough of this. All right, time for uh, our draft, and uh, I'm going to let you explain our draft because this is uh, this is an idea of yours. Yeah, this is uh, it's very simple. It's very we're drafting uh, small improvements to the world. So these are not this is not like we're solving famine or something. These are tiny, tiny, tiny little things that we could do that are achievable that we could do in our society that would make the world a better place. Yes, just little tiny improvements, but there would be improvements. There, there would no definitely question. be improvements, definitely and that, improvements. Are, <clears throat> that are really things that like, that I, I the, the key to this is they're practical. They're like, that we could snap our fingers and, and just, and make the, these things happen. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll draft first. I'll give, sure. you the, I'll give you the template example here. When you go to the bathroom on an airplane, you approach the bathroom and there is a, a sign that says green and vacant if it's empty and red and occupied if it is not. This is achievable on every public bathroom. <laughs> this is easily achievable. It's a little thingy that is tied to the lock on the bathroom so you know whether there's someone in there or not. And when you go to a bathroom in a restaurant, I have, this happens all the time. I, I can't be the only one. Sometimes you try to open the bathroom and it seems like it's locked. But you also are like, I don't know if it is locked or whether it's just you have to press down harder on the handle. And so and you then maybe, if somebody's in there, oh my gosh. If someone's in there, you don't want to be like jiggling the handle trying to get in. And then you like, and then you maybe, I this has happened to me so many times. I, I think there's someone in there. I think it's locked. But I just stand there and wait and a long time goes by. And then I like, I'm like, maybe there's no one in there. And try it again. And you realize, oh, you just have to push the handle down harder. 
if there were a red sign that said occupied, I would know there was someone in there. If there were a green sign that said vacant, I would know there there wasn't. And there's no reason why every public bathroom in the world shouldn't have that system. I totally agree. I just totally agree. It, it, it's, it seems to me that that everybody has had that moment where you're just like, eh, what am I, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to look down to see if there's legs there. Or what. Right. I mean, just, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it, it feels, it feels achievable. So that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Small improvements to the world. So I will follow with my first pick, uh, which is actually one that a few, um, uh, a friend of mine actually came up with this idea. He, I'm sure he's one of 10 million people who has come up with this idea. So don't, don't tweet me or whatever to say you came up with this. I'm, you probably did. I'm not saying this is original, but it seems so obvious to me, and I can't believe we don't do it. How do we not have U-turn lights on our cars? How do we not have wow. a little U-turn light on cars? All It's so annoying being behind a guy who's taking a left and then like them just like, oh, they're start the left. Okay, I'm moving up. Oh, no, they're not. They're coming the full U-turn which is perfectly fine. It's perfectly legal, but there has to be a way for them to let me know behind them. So how do we not? And that seems like that would be so easy to put on the back of cars, just some little, some little thing that when you either flip the, the turn signal, you know, all the way down, or you do something which just gives you like a little, like a little arrow making the U-turn sign or something. Right. Just, that seems like that would be so easy. Why don't we do that? I don't know. Great question. And it seems like it, you would do it in the same way that you do windshield wiper speed, right? Where it's like right. one click is, right. is, is, you know, speed one, and then you do it again at speed number two. You just do the same thing with your left turn signal. Yeah. It just seems so, it seems so obvious to me. So, uh, I'll, all right, I'll keep the car theme going because I think, and th we're moving in this direction. This will, this will be true someday, but every single car needs to have keyless entry oh, now. Yeah. There is no excuse for a car that requires you to manually insert a key into a into a key slot and turn it in order to start the engine. It's absurd. Half of the cars now have just turn on. You push a button and they turn on. But many of them, when you like rent a car somewhere, we rented a car recently to take a family trip. And many of them, like this one didn't. And I was like, wait, what is going on? And you have, you're carrying things and you're getting your kids in the car. And then you, re and you get in, you sit down and you're like, God darn it. <laughs> you have to search. It feels so anti. It feels like it, you're driving a Model T. That's how old it feels <laughs> that you're driving a Model T when you have to take you out a key. Crank but, at the front. Yeah. And then your keys are dangling out of the lock and like <laughs> jingling and jangling and stuff. It's just, it's so crazy. And I know like in five years, I this will be obsolete. I'm sure every car will just have it. But I had a, we had a car. I won't name the kind of car it was, but we, for a while, we had a family car that didn't have keyless entry. And we didn't realize it didn't until we got it because we we test drove one that did have it and then we uh -huh. got a different one and it didn't have it for some reason. And uh, and it drove us absolutely bonkers <laughs> for three years. And we finally got rid of it recently and I was so thrilled. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I just got back from a, a short trip and I and we and we got a uh, I got a rental car and I went to the back. So I was so I was going to put my, uh, you know, my luggage in the in the back in, in the trunk and then and they get in the car and I reached down under the you know whatever the the thing is in the trunk to, to open the trunk right because that's what cars have is that little that little whatever spring that you press the button and then the, the thing goes up um 
not automatically. It just it just unlocks it and you can goes up. And it didn't have it. And like I'm under there for like 30 seconds, like just, you know, picking at the grime on the back of my car or the car because it didn't have it because it was not a keyless entry car. So I to order to open the trunk of a new car, I had to use the key either by inserting the key or by hitting the little unlock button on the, the key. people who designed that car should be arrested. They should be arrested. That should be a federal crime. I so totally agree. Okay, I'm going to throw uh, my number two. Since we're talking cars, this is not my choice, but I want to mention this to you because my wife, I mentioned to her what we were doing, and this was this was her suggestion, and I just find this to be so funny. Um, she thinks that we we should have ATMs in our cars. She thinks that there should be ATM <laughs> machines. <laughs> And I said, how would that work? She's like, well, I don't, I'm not worried about how it would work. I just saying we should have them. And I said, but you, you know, they don't, the, the ATM doesn't make the money. The money's in the ATM machine. You can't put money in like an ATM machine in your car and then like access it whenever you want. And she's like, well, that's not for me to figure out. Other people should figure that out, but we should be able to, we should be able to go and just go to our car and get the ATM machine. So we don't have to stop at the bank anymore. So I mean, isn't she kind of inviting a lot more car break-ins? <laughs> it feels like there are a lot of issues with the cho- with the decision, but I just found that to be that was that was her. And the great thing is, it was her small improvement to the world, right? Like like the ATM thing, that's no problem. Just getting, we'll just put little banks inside of all of our cars. I think. That's yeah, I'm going to say that that is not neither easily achievable nor. A, a, a thing that would actually improve the world. <laughs> I think it serves no purpose at all. However, she was uh, one of the people who recommended the U-turn light thing, so I'm giving her that. Listen, um, I, I, I want to support your wife here, and so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna let this slide. But I, I'm gonna say that it's not quite in the same spirit as the other entries or, in this draft, or or anything really. Yeah. All right, my second choice. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to sports for my second choice, and and uh, we've sort of discussed this in in passing. But I'm just going to make the point. I think this is a simple fix to the game of baseball. Um, I elim- I want to eliminate all mound visits, all mound. You know, they've limited them and said, oh, you you know, whatever. There is no reason for the manager to have to go out and escort the guy off the mound. There's, I don't care if the guy is struggling and he wants like some emotional support. Uh I do, you know, I mean, I'm fine with like a catcher saying, "Hey, we got crossed up or whatever." I mean, that's that's one thing. But the idea of mound visits—oh my gosh, we've never been in this situation before where there's a man on third and this guy might bunt. Let's all gather on the mound and talk about it. Gone. All mound visits gone. Wow, that's bold. That's bold. It's I have bold. to say that I think what are they? What is the actual number you get? Eight. Like eight, right? I mean, I mean that's that's what's so dumb is like who was visiting the mound nine times in a game? Like the, the, a team ran out, right? Was it the Royals? I think the Royals were the first team. Did uh, they really? They actually ran out of mound visits. Well, yeah, then well, the Royals are having a great year, so <laughs> <laughs> so it was worth it. I I I felt like I like the idea of limiting them, but it's a little bit like. I mean, there's it, it's like timeouts in basketball. I don't like, want them. I don't think baseball needs timeouts. That's exactly yeah, it, you're right. I, like I just I feel like you should limit them, but it's I think it should be three instead of eight, and maybe it'll maybe it'll decrease over time. But like, it just is like that. If you're gonna if you wanted to actually help curb time out of the take time out of the game, you can't do eight 
Like it's oh, just a, yeah. six. It's and, like, and I'm not even, know. I mean, look, I'm bothered by the time because obviously that's dead time. You know, I mean, that's all that is, is dead time. Um, but I'm also bothered by the, just it, the point of it is, and, and look, if people want to keep for the tradition that the, that the manager goes out and gets the ball from the pitcher or whatever. Okay, fine. I mean, I'm, I don't think it's necessary. I also don't think we've, we've talked about, we don't believe that relievers should get, eight pitches when they come in. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, all that, but that's a separate thing. One thing that, that bugs me is like timeouts in basketball are really big because sometimes when you're on a terrible run, right. Where, where, you know, you're, you know, the other team just outscored you 18 to two, you call timeout to sort of settle everybody down, break the momentum. Well, that's a, because basketball is a constantly moving game. Baseball's not. I mean, if a guy's struggling or you walks two guys in a row or whatever, that doesn't mean you get to go out there and comfort him. I'm, I'm sorry. This, it, this is it's Major League Baseball. I mean, I, I just think that that is a completely unnecessary part of the game. Yeah. All right. I'm with you. Right. Um, side note, this isn't one of my things, but I feel like baseball guys who hit should have to wear whatever they wear to the plate as they run around the bases. No more calling timeout and giving, <laughs> taking like an entire suit of armor off and handing it to your first base coach. Like you can wear that stuff. Fine. But you got to wear it around the bases. I love that. I totally yeah. agree that there is nothing annoying, especially now where they take the helmet off and they put a bunch of stuff inside it. Like the helmet is like the container for all yeah. the things. No, can't have it. Can't have it. Um, for my third pick, I'm going to the restaurant industry nice. again. Uh, the occupied vacant signs on the bathrooms in part is because of the restaurant industry, but uh, I have a specific food-based one, which is from now on, every pat of butter is warmed. Every one of them. No more cold pats of butter. It's too annoying. And it, it the difference in my happiness level between taking a pat of butter that is spreadable and taking a pat of butter that's rock hard because it's it's uh, been in the freezer, apparently, it's it's a huge difference it's in huge, your life. Huge. It's a massive difference, and again, easily achievable. Man, we're talking pra practical <laughs> solutions here. It's not that hard to just let the pats of butter either either warm them up or just let them be room temperature for an hour. The butter won't go bad, and then you your patrons get to happily spread warm, yummy butter on their bread before they eat. It's a huge difference and easily achievable. That should be a, a, a that should be again. This should, these things should be federal law. That's I don't. I'm not just like I'm not going to leave it up to the to the good graces of no. the people uh, in charge of these decisions. These need to be hard and fast federal laws. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. So so my question to you is: Would you say the difference between rock hard butter and warm yummy uh, butter? is equal to the difference between peanut and regular M&Ms? Would you say that that gap is this is similar? Yeah, it's a similar gap. A similar yes, gap. absolutely. That's similar that's gap. Sort of what I was thinking too. You're totally right. By the way, how are they preparing these these things that they're just And then you have to put like those big chunks of butter on your bread like, you know, when you're trying to spread oh, like it stinks. Oh, oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. There's nothing <laughs> there's nothing worse in your restaurant experience than than having to spread chunky, cold, rock-hard butter <laughs> onto a piece of bread. <laughs> All right, my third choice is uh, we're going to go to sort of hotels, but also there, there are other places where this matters. I believe there should be a simple little yellow line in front of all elevators. And when you are waiting for an elevator, you stand behind that yellow line. And when the elevator comes down, 
everybody gets out before you cross the yellow line. Uh, and that's it. And, and, and the yellow line would, again, this would be federal law, right? The yellow line would represent, and, and you, you could conceivably get fined, uh, in sort of the jaywalking fashion. If you break the yellow line, delay people getting out of the elevator or actually get in the way by trying to jam yourself into the elevator before they get out. Uh, it's horribly annoying. And uh, I think a yellow line solves the problem. All we need is a okay. little can I Can I make a counter pitch? Because I'm right with you, but let me make a counter pitch. Okay. So in front of the elevator, right. there are three um, painted uh, sections on the floor, or they could be tiled or whatever, but three different colors. Okay. So the, they're, they're basically three stripes, three lines leading up to the elevator, one third of the width of the elevator each. So in the middle width of the elevator, right, like centered on the place where the elevator door opens, there is a, there is like a stripe on the ground or a tile on the ground that is painted um, red. Right. And to either side of it, there is a stripe on the ground or a tile on the ground painted green leading up to the elevator. And the green section is where you wait to get on and you cannot stand in the red section. So the elevator opens and the red section, which is the middle of the elevator is where the people exiting walk. Right. The elevator opens and they walk through there and the green sections, you're waiting on either side of them. And then when the people have exited down the red stripe, then the people in the green stripes walk in. Love it. This is way better. It's a, it's an advanced version of the yellow line. So basically, that's right. It's yeah, just yeah. because it, because the the problem isn't just that people crowd the elevator. The problem is they crowd it right where people are exiting. <laughs> right. So if you if you forced them aside, then it, you know, look, if there's nobody in the elevator, great. You just, everybody walks in. Just but walk if in, there exactly. are people in the elevator, they have an easy exit route, and then the people on the to to just to the side on the on the edges of the elevator door width get to get to enter. Love it. I love that. And by the way, there's there's there is more elevator stuff, and I'm not going to go into it now. There's also elevator stuff of if you are getting off before the bottom floor, like whatever the lowest floor is, we need to figure out a way to adjust people so the, that they're standing in the front of the elevator. You know what I'm saying? On yeah. for the end, yeah, of course, right? yeah, yeah. Because now it's sort of like, oh, excuse me, pardon me. Everybody's got to get out so they can get in, and it's like. None of that makes sense. There, there, there needs to be some organization within the elevator. But bigger problem is definitely elevator exiting, and uh, and uh, we've solved that, and we've solved it very easily. I might add. Yeah. Um, all right. That's great. We we solved that one. All right. Here's my fourth pick. Ready? Yep. All printers work all the time. <laughs> that's that's as simple as that. They just work. You can bring a computer anywhere and you can hit print and the your document will print to the printer that's nearest to nearest you. Nearest to you, yeah. There's no more printer drivers. You don't have to download a thing. You don't have to connect to an IP address. You don't have to do whatever. It just works, man. You hit open Apple P and then it says, do you want to print to this printer? And you say yes. And then your document prints and that's the end of it. And I know, I know this is achievable. There is no reason on earth that you should have to download a printer driver or software or anything in order to connect to a specific printer. It's ridiculous. These things, this, there is some weird antiquated system by which printers are being made still to this day that force you to do a whole bunch of specific stuff for that specific printer. And it's stupid and <laughs> it should be over. And you should be like, I, I'm, I've been in my office at, at Universal now for like four years 
the printers never worked once. And it's the, <laughs> there's only one printer in this office and there's only two computers and on my computer. And I like every three weeks, there's an IT guy here going, oh, I don't know what's going on. And it seems like you upgrade to the, the, the firmware update. And, the, and it's like, what? that's ridiculous. It's my computer. My The printer's 18 feet away from me and it's on the same network and it never works. And I don't, I feel like there is a, there is a, uh, that we should start over. We should just start over. Every printer works for every computer and you just choose the printer you want to print to and you print and it works. End of story. I totally agree. I totally agree. We actually just uh, went through this with a printer where we bought a new printer and it worked fine. And then one day it just, it wasn't that it stopped working. The printer was fine. We couldn't find it on our computer. We just couldn't find it. And like we said, print it. It's like printer is not active printer, you know, and then, and then it was like, find your IP address, connect it with a like who still even has ethernet cords like that. They no computer has ethernet cords anymore. And so you got to find like that dongle thingy. And you're right. It's totally right. And it is big printer. There's no doubt in my mind. They they're, they're sitting on the technology. We are under the thumb of big printer. No question. <laughs> they are sitting on the technology. All right. My fourth one is sort of one that, uh, well, all right, you know what? I'm going to go with this one instead. It should be a national law that when you unsubscribe from an email, it's instantaneous. And anybody who sends you the, you will be unsubscribed within the next 10 days is arrested, absolutely arrested immediately because you cannot tell me in today's world that you can unsubscribe from a newsletter or a spam email or whatever it is, and they can't instantly stop sending you stuff. That is ludicrous. 10 days? What is this, like the like the, the Pony Express? 10 days it takes to unsubscribe me from this stupid thing I never wanted in the first place? Absolutely law-breaking experiences. And Those people, the people who, who, who make you wait 10 days should not only be arrested, they should be put in solitary confinement. That's A. I'll go you one better, though. I know it's like it's closer to the Pony Express because it's snail mail. But when you call a uh, the front gate catalog people right. or the Ballard Designs catalog people and say, I didn't ask for your catalog. I don't want your catalog anymore. And they say, great. We've totally unsubscribed you. It will take between seven and 15 years for us to process this. So you might get our catalog for seven or 15 more years. That should, that should be, they should be put in military prison. Military prison. <laughs> like, I, and then, by the way, then you just, you, maybe a couple months go by, blissful months where you don't get the front gate or Ballard Designs catalog that you never, I've never bought anything from those places. And for some reason, I get those catalogs constantly. And and then they just start coming again. Like you, there's nothing I can do. I have called them so many times and said, "I never want, I never <laughs> want your catalog. I promise you, if I want to buy something from Frontgate or Ballard Designs, I will go to your website. I will opt in to your system. I don't need to opt. I. It's absurd that I have to opt out of your system. I don't understand how this is a money making business for you. <laughs> it's so. It makes no sense. But I'll, I'll tell you one that I had just because it's an experience I just had, and I'm going to name them because the experience was so bad. Uh, sometime, I don't even know how long ago it was, I subscribed to the Wall Street Journal online. Uh, and, and I don't even remember why. It was probably because I love Jason Gay. It was probably the sports writer there. 
I, I wanted to read something of his that was behind a wall. I can't remember what it was, but like many things in my life, once I subscribed, I totally forgot to unsubscribe and I kept forgetting to unsubscribe. And I would get emails from them saying, you, you know, the, 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 your car, your credit card has been charged X amount. And I'm like, oh, I got to unsubscribe. But every time they sent the email, it was on a weekend. And you can't unsubscribe online on for, for them. You have to call them and they don't work weekends. So I literally could not uh, call them. And then I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to call them first thing Monday. And then I totally forget. And I would be the next month or whatever. So I finally got them on the phone. Finally, I remembered. And I'm like, I'm doing this. I'm totally unsubscribing. And I call them and I say, hey, listen, I've, I've been, I've had you, you know, I probably was more than a year. I've had your 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 thing and and I don't look at it I don't want it uh I just want to stop I just want to immediately stop stop charging me and the woman on the other end said okay well you know we're running a special offer now that you know we can do it for half the and I said I no I don't want it I just don't I just want to just please and and she goes okay I certainly understand what you're saying however because uh you're a longtime subscriber you'll get a very special offer and I said, no, I, I, if, if it's free, I don't want it. I don't want the Wall Street Journal. I don't want it. I don't want any part of it and, and stop. She kept me on the phone for another 15 minutes for me trying to unsubscribe with new offers over. And I mean, I, and I am not exaggerating. She must have made me 12 or 13 new offers during the time. Man. Oh my gosh. I was so enraged. And then it was one of those and I never do this. It was one of those where they were like, uh, would you like to take the, uh, like a, you know, t- t- like a little service thing to talk about how you were. And I, it was one of those like, yes, I do want to take one of those. And, yeah. and I went off on them. And uh, of course it means nothing and, and, you know, whatever. And she was only doing her job. I mean, I get it. I'm sure that, that she probably gets 40 lashes for every subscription she loses or whatever. But, but, oh, these things seem to me like uh, they're more than annoyances. They're 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 day ruiners, is what they are. Yeah, and it it is true because like you don't want to take it out on that poor no, woman. No, and I didn't. I really. Didn't. It's not her policy. She's doing what she has to do, but it it is so annoying. Like I when I canceled my NFL Sunday ticket package. Oh my gosh! Uh, because I bailed on the NFL. Right. I it was the same thing. It was like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And I was just like, no, I you don't seem to understand. I don't want this anymore is a pretty straightforward declaration of my intention. And, and uh, yeah, it was like, we'll give, we'll cut it in half. We'll do this. You can get three weeks free. You'll do the whatever. And I was uh, like, just stop, just stop. Yeah. Oh, all right. Um, all right. Here's my last one. Yes. And, and I fully admit that this one is on me right. is a hundred percent on me. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm not trying to, to uh, uh, abnegate my responsibility sure. in the social public sphere but my fifth improvement that would make the world better, everybody says their name before every time they talk. <laughs> <laughs> so so even so you and I are having this this we're doing a podcast. Yep. The way this would work is you would say something and I would go, My name is Michael. Here's what I think about this, blah blah and then you would go, My name is Joe, blah 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 blah. And it would, it would become a, just a, a tick, a little like vocal tick that we would all engage in. And the reason for this is obvious, which is I am terrible with names. Yeah. I always have been. I have tried every trick in the book. I've tried repeating people's names back to them when I meet them. I've tried um, making picture books where writing people's names below their pictures and studying them. 
But for some reason, I just lack the part of the human brain that allows me to remember people's names the first 27 to 50 times I meet them. And so what I'm what I'm saying is I and by the way, the, there's a there's a there's a flip side of this, which is when I meet other people, I always say my name. I always go, I'm Mike, by the way, or I'm Mike, we've met before or whatever. And because I assume I'm, I, I want to uh, help them if they suffer from the same terrible social problem that I suffer from. <laughs> but usually what happens is a double whammy where they go, oh, I know. Uh, and, but then they don't say their name. Right. Right. So, right. <laughs> so like I, they feel insulted that I have said my name, assuming that they don't remember me. Like they're insulted that I would think that they aren't good at this. And then also, I still don't learn the information that I'm craving, which is what your name is. I've met you five million times. I don't remember your name. But so I think that I think we uh, socially for social lubrication, conversational lubrication, it would be better if everybody just as a matter of course, before the first sentence and this probably the first, let's say, five sentences in every conversation, <laughs> you just state your name You just, like you're on a conference call like this is Mike. Uh, here's what I think about X, Y and Z. Yeah. It wouldn't take that much longer, really, if you think about it. It really wouldn't. No. It wouldn't add that much to it. Um, I don't know that I'm, my my issue is as crippling as yours. However, I'm I'm really bad about it and about remembering people's names and faces, for that matter. I'm not just not good at recognizing people I should absolutely recognize, uh, and I feel terrible about it. But apparently, I have a a tick that I that I I've only picked up not because anybody's ever told me, but because I can see the reaction on them, on their faces. It's clear where people who I should know, like relatives, will come up to me and they'll be like, hey, how are you? And they'll see the look on my face and they will go, oh, hey, I'm your first cousin. Like they'll know based on apparently the incredible like fear or something that I have on my face that, right. that that suggests to them like, oh my gosh, this guy has no idea. We we worked together for 25 years and this guy has no idea who I am. And they will yeah. do it. And sometimes I actually do know their names, but I still put this face on because they'll say like, oh hey, yeah, I'm your brother. Like, yeah, no, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I I get it. No, I know that. You know, but but I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't know if I'd want to do it uh, for the first five sentences, but at least the first three, two or three sentences, you know, just let's, 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 let's repeat. Let's repeat. Yeah. Some I mean, if you do it for three, I'm going to forget it on the fourth. So <laughs> you, you, it's, it's going to make it worse. I think I need five consecutive to remember that your name is Jim or whatever. So we can try three as an experiment, experiment, but I'm telling you right now, it's just going to make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my fifth one. I'm going to break away from my uh, from from a little bit from the topic because there's something that I believe there's a small improvement way to fix, but I've I've thought about it and I can't come up with the actual solution. I'm going to give you the problem and you tell me if there's a way to do the solution. We've got to figure out a way to fix the tipping system in our in our country, and I'm not just talking about tips for waiters or waitresses or you know wait staff, I guess, or whatever you want to call them. That's easy because I, I nobody pays by cash anymore. I don't pay by cash. So there's a little tip line. I can just fill it in. But for all of the like people who get your car or or clean your room or do something of, of tip worthy, whatever it is, the pizza guy, whatever it is, um, it's got to be a way to pool the tipping system so I don't have to reach in my wallet because I never have cash ever. 
And and there's no other way to tip these people as 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 it stands right now. There's got to be some sort of PayPal way where they they have a number and I could just go, okay, great, thank you. Uh, you know, you'll find your tip later. Kind of the way that that Uber does, I guess, where like after the Uber ride, it asks you if you want to give the person a tip, and then you can just you know press it on your button. We need a universal tipping system so that I can feel good about like, hey, I'm I'm. Or, or we need to get rid of tips entirely and everybody needs to get paid more. I mean, that's a much bigger social issue. But assuming we're going to keep the thing the way it is, we've got to find a better way to tip people. Just got to. Well, first of all, this uh, tipping system would be eased significantly if we adopt Margo's in-car <laughs> ATM system. So that's one that is thing. True. I think that's, that's, that's a, a great point. Um, but I, yeah, I, look, I think this is going to take care of itself because I think, again, in five years – what'll happen is everyone's smartphone will have a a very specific encoded ID number on it and you'll get out of the car and you'll like a valet guy will bring your car and you'll just like wave your phone at that person's phone. (laughs) And then they'll say, how much do you want to send to that person? And you'll type in the certain thing and you'll put your fingerprint on it and it'll scan your retina and you'll, and you're, you'll wire that person three bucks or whatever. I think, I think that is going to actually, I think, I think your dream is going to become a reality because I feel like we are moving towards a system where not only is the whole world cashless, but the whole world is essentially credit card list yeah. where like all of the information is stored in your phone and it is only activatable, um, activable or whatever. When you, <laughs> when you scan your retina and put your thumbprint in and you prick your finger and it, it samples your blood to make sure that you're the, you have the right DNA. <laughs> so I think that, I think I, you're totally right, but I also think it's gonna, that's gonna actually occur. You're going to not have to worry about that because you'll just, you, it'll literally be wave. it It'll be waving your phone near the other person's phone, and then it'll all be taken care of. So, so great! It'll be you could even yeah. even have a standard tip that you give people, and then you could just wave your phone and just do it automatically. Uh, so basically, the two things that will get solved is the keyless entry and the tipping system. You believe that over time we're going to get there? I think so, and I also think that um, those are the two least offensive to me, even though. Uh, I think that I think the warm butter pats and the <laughs> occupied vacant locks on the bathrooms are more important. Elevators um, are much more important to me. I and mean, elevators, I, yeah, like because because those are things that can't be solved with smartphones. Like those are things that we have to adopt as rules as a society because they're just they're things that make people's lives better and smoother. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, we're going to go on to one last meaningless thing, but first I do have to ask you. So you just finished filming. Uh, season three of the uh, of the Good Place, uh, and I'm not going to ask you for any any uh, hints because you wouldn't give them to me anyway. But how excited should we be? I mean, what what do we what do we? I mean, are you are you uh, you're obviously in the middle of it, so it's kind of hard to say. But yes, I'm, I've just started editing all the episodes. Um, the second season, I'll plug. The second season is going to be on Netflix in a couple weeks. Yes. I think uh, at the end of August. So if you haven't seen it, you can catch up on Netflix. Um, I think it, the third season turned out really well. I'm very excited about it. It's very crazy, and uh, and bizarre and fun <laughs> and interesting. So I, I I'm very I'm very optimistic about it. I hope uh, people like it if they uh, choose to watch. Well, they will. They'll love it. I'm I can't wait. I cannot wait. And I, I'm sure you feel the same way about my Houdini book. I do. What, by the way, when's your Houdini book coming out? Well, it's uh, it's we are in the process of of figuring it out. It is going to be uh, sometime. We're, we're debating. We're and maybe you can even help us with this. 
So, so it could be the spring, um, of the upcoming spring, or there is some thought that it should be closer to Halloween. He died on Halloween. That's sort of when people are thinking creepy magic and that sort of thing. So it will be one of those two slots. Um, I guess it doesn't matter, right? I mean, if it's out in spring, it'll be out in Halloween also. So I, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how that works. But you know, you want you want to make the big launch and and the big deal. So, uh, but that book is done. I am now. I can't say I'm writing it anymore. I have done it. It is done. Uh, the editors uh, love it, and uh, and I'm very excited. I really am. Congratulations! Thank you. Thank you. So that's so that's good. So is there a title for it yet? Do you have an official title? We we are down to two, and and I don't want to say either one in case we choose the other one. But we are down to to two titles, and uh, uh, they're both they're both good. But it's it, that that has been a tough one. Uh, for, yeah, for titles time. are so hard, man. Titles are titles. That's the hardest part of of uh, of every like creative and endeavor I don't know why to me. That is why why is it so well hard? because because it, it's like because it matters. Like I you know it's like a I think uh, um. There's a song uh, by Tom Petty called Billy the Kid. Yeah. And it's a great song. It's a really, really good song. It's like a classic Tom Petty, straightforward, like three chord rock song. And the chorus is, I went down hard like Billy the Kid. And uh, and it's it's just great. And I love, it's one of my favorite Tom Petty songs. And it just it had made no impact on the culture. Right. And I played it for uh, Ed Helms, uh, my friend Ed Helms, who... He's also a big Tom Petty fan, and he and I were sort of commiserating after um, after Tom Petty died. Sure. And I was like, do you know that song? It's one of my favorite songs. And he didn't know it. I played it for him. And I was like, I don't understand why this song like wasn't a bigger deal. And he, he said, I think it would have been a better deal, a bigger deal if he had called it Went Down Hard. Because Went Down Hard is a better title oh, than Billy the Kid. Good point. And I was like, I kind of think you're right. Like, <laughs> that that's a, like a Went Down Hard sounds awesome. Like, I want to listen to a rock song called Went Down Hard. Like, that sounds cool. But Billy the Kid, it's like, eh, all right. And I, I feel like there, it, it reinforced for me that conversation that like titles are so yeah. massively important. Yeah. They really have to be, they have to encapsulate what the show or the book or the movie is about. By the way, Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise movie. I think Edge of Tomorrow is Tom Cruise's best movie. It is a wonderful movie. It's a it's Groundhog Day, but an action movie. Right. And the tagline for Edge of Tomorrow was "Live, Die, Repeat." Live, Die, Repeat's a way better way title. Better like title. The, if Edge they had named it terrible. "Live, Die, Repeat," yeah. it would have made like five times as much <laughs> money. But like Edge of Tomorrow, it's like, what is that? It sounds new agey and and like I don't know. It's uh, and. And I really, I truly believe that the, a title can sort of make or break a creative endeavor. My point here is don't blow it. Yeah, no, that, that, <laughs> that's a very good point. That is a very good point. Um, no, you're right. You're totally right. And, and uh, um, so that's why we're trying to, trying to figure it out. So we'll, we'll get there. <clears throat> and I promise I will uh, tell you as soon as I know. Um, all right, great. All right, time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing. Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, nor Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast whoa—it's one last whoa. 
Are we in some sort of weird pen shortage in America, like working pens? I never go to a, a restaurant or a or a store or any place anymore where the pen works, ever. You know, most places now have like that little electronic signing thing, right? Where you just just have the little fake pen and you sign and those are fine. But any place that gives you a paper um a paper receipt to sign, typically restaurants, but some stores, some places uh like that, the pens never ever work ever. And like if they do work, they like sort of work where a little bit of ink comes out and then it's like blank and then a little more ink comes out. This can't be that big a problem. I mean, we're writing less and less than ever before. It feels like pens should be in huge supply. Working pens should be everywhere. But we come around the house and it's the same thing. We're like, oh, I, I can never, I've got 500 pens in like one of these little, whatever they're called, pen bins, you know, that on my desk. And I, every time I pull out a pen, now that one doesn't work. Okay, that one doesn't work. I don't understand. I, what happened to pen technology? I think we're just buying fewer of them, right? Yeah. I think in the old days, 10, 20, 30 years ago, you bought pens all the time because you needed them, and now you never need them. Right. And then when you rarely do need they're them, they're really old yeah. because you haven't bought new ones. I think that's your answer. That's a wild guess, but I think that's your answer. Um, it is um, shockingly true how frequently the pen at the restaurant doesn't work, <laughs> and you have to kind of wave to the guy, this pen doesn't work, and yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> lots of like Seinfeld level tiny tiny annoyances in this podcast. Yeah, there really That's are. The there really are. Actually, That's good. Um, mine, my weirdly, my one last meeting. This thing is also uh, it's very similar. It's very pen related, which oh, is wow. my so both both of my children are at sleepaway camp for the first time this week. It's wow. very weird. My daughter is eight and my son is ten, and they're both at sleepaway camp for a week. And it seems to be going well. It's, uh, you know, we, we were a little worried because, you know, my daughter especially is only eight. Yeah. She's uh, she's pretty far away from home. But it seems to be going well based on our the photos that we've seen on the websites. And we haven't gotten any panicked <laughs> phone calls from counselors and stuff. But um, so there's a system by which you can write emails to your kids. And then you can they, could, they write handwritten letters and they scan them and they email them back to you. It's really cool. And and um I told my son as part of my like, it's going to be okay that you're gone for a week kind of sales pitch. I was like, you know, you won't have uh, access to baseball or information about baseball, but I will send you a nightly baseball roundup. Oh, So every night I at about 11 o'clock, I, I like write a little paragraph through their system that says like, you know, the Red Sox beat the Yankees uh, five, four and the, in the extra innings and the, and, uh, you know, the Dodgers uh, lost to the Astros, whatever. And I give him and I like Bryce Harper at another home run. The guy's on fire. I give him like a sort of like recap of baseball. And then he writes a letter back to us and he hand they handwrite the letters there and send it back. So he his um, the point of this is that. Uh, oh, side note. I've been also cleaning out my my basement and throwing away an enormous amount of old, meaningless documents, including a bunch of stuff from like my childhood that's just been like down rotting away right. in in, uh, in boxes forever. And I found this like little thing I wrote about how I wanted to be a baseball player. I wrote when I was eight years old and my handwriting <laughs> has never been amazing. But uh, in this essay that I wrote for school on old timey lined paper, my handwriting was pretty impeccable. Wow. It was like, yeah, it was like very, very, it was clearly like, you know, the like you do it and then your teacher makes you redo it and makes it you print it, you know. Right. It was cursive writing, but it was like it was very, very neat and very like 
right on the line and all that sort of stuff. And um, I was eight years old when I wrote it. It was 1983, so I was eight years old. Uh, my son's handwriting is abominable. <laughs> it is, I mean, it's a nightmare. It is impossible to read. The letters are garbage. They're all they're too close together or too far apart. They, they're the lines. He's like all over the map. And I was sort of like, is this just his hand? He might just have terrible handwriting. People have terrible handwriting. But I also think. I came to the same conclusion. I was like, I think they're just writing less. Like yeah. they we used to, I mean, when we were, when you and I were in school, they drilled us like crazy yes. on handwriting. And it seemed even at a certain point back then, it seemed pointless because it was like, look, everybody's typing or writing on word processors now. And this is a skill that won't matter and blah, blah, blah. And I think obviously that's only increased over the last 30, whatever years. But I mean, I was shocked to see the difference between my eight-year-old handwriting and my son's 10-year-old handwriting. My son is like a, He's like a physician who's writing a prescription. Like, that's how bad it is. You can't even see the letters. I mean, it's, and I don't know, should I care? Do I, do I care? I'm not sure I care. I, I guess I kind of do because just in general, I think it's like a sign of a, a neat and ordered mind that you can write well. But maybe I don't care. No, should I care? No. I guess is the question. The answer, the answer is no. You should not care at all. They, they, they don't. One thing that, that we've seen uh, with our with our girls is they don't they don't teach handwriting. Not not like they used to. You talk about drilling. They don't have them write. They don't teach them to write. Uh, you know, that they, they I'm sure your son types way better at 10 than you did at uh, at eight or 10 or sure. over maybe now. I mean, the way the way they are. I will tell you this, though, because uh, I don't know about it, if it's an ordered mind or what it is, because I because I, I always had terrible handwriting. And I always was of the belief that great handwriting, like top level handwriting is like an artistic thing. Like, like there's, there are people who can naturally draw. There are people who can naturally uh, write very well. I mean, you can drill yourself into, to doing both, I suppose. But, but I thought that, so our daughter, uh, younger daughter, Katie uh, is 13 now. And Katie is one of these people. She's, she's like from another planet. She's it's, it's hard to describe, uh, Katie's level of ambition in, in, in general. So when Katie does, uh, like has a test before she has a test, she will get out the whiteboard. She has a little whiteboard by her, by her desk, uh, here at the house and she gets out her whiteboard and she will write notes to herself about the test. So she'll write like 10 ways for me to ace tomorrow's biology test or whatever it is. Right. And then she'll like list off 10, things that she that she um, uh, needs to do in order to, to get a really good grade on the science test. And I look at those those boards when she writes them and it it you know what it looks like? It looks like when you bought the board that that was the writing that was on it. When you bought it like that was the like that was the right. advertise that's how beautifully scripted it is. And and I'm like this is ridiculous. I mean she didn't she hasn't done a lot of writing. She certainly was never taught writing. She was never that. So I wonder if some of that is just like, it's just kind of who you are. Like not in, not in a, not in the way you're describing, like, well, she's more organized or he's less organized or whatever the case may be, but just kind of like, you know, some people can draw and some people can't. Yeah, I guess that's right. It's like, it's, I can't draw at all. And I don't think that that's the result of not having taken lessons in drawing. Right. I think it's just a skill that you have or don't have. So uh, that's sort of the conclusion I came to. I decided not to care. Although just professionally, it's going to be embarrassing for him. Sometimes. <laughs> not if he's a doctor. Not if he's a doctor. Yeah, fair enough. 
All right. I got to push him towards med school. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. All right. Well, so very exciting uh, for next podcast. Everybody's going to get to uh, see, hear Nick Offerman. How cool is that going to be? That's very exciting. Oh. The dulcet tones of Nick the Offerman will be gracing us. Nick Offerman. We're going to let him do all of it. He's just That's basically right. going to be his podcast. Uh, so as always, Mike, thank you. Thanks for having me, Joe.